Uh, let us again rise from our seats to receive our scripture reading for today. Our scripture reading comes from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and, perse um, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I invite Pastor John Yoon to deliver God's word for us today. Let me check. There we go. All right. Uh, I apologize for the technical difficulty. Um, well, good morning, church. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. I am, I'm doing well as well. And um, I'm excited to share uh, the God's word with you and to preach here for this congregation. And um, yeah, we've been going through a sermon series called The Living Faith, where we will dive into the book of James uh, throughout the summer. And Pastor David Moon has been going over, um, you know, chapter one for the past two weeks, uh, addressing uh, certain practical questions as Christians, such as how can I be truly content and why am I so unstable? And perhaps the best way to describe today's passage is the introduction to the rest of the book of James. And because the nature of James is an instruction how to live as a Christian practically, um, we'll be talking about today, how do I obey God? So that's the topic for today. And I want to divide up this passage today in three points for those of you who like to take notes. Number one, we obey God by listening. Number two, we obey God by doing. And number three, we obey God by remembering. So first, number one, obey God by listening. Uh, if we look in uh, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. So be quick to listen to what exactly? Well, to God, right? And I want to ask you, church, how do you listen for God? I mean, out of the many voices in our minds and around us, how do we distinguish if it's God speaking or Satan speaking or even our own desires speaking? But the only way in which God speaks to us consistently, coherently, without contradictions, is through the word of God written in the Bible. Amen. 
the sad reality for today, for us Christians today, is that we do not read our Bibles. We're not very familiar with the scripture. Because oftentimes we seek signs from our circumstances. We seek wisdom from human unbiblical sources. And the root of this problem for us is not merely about laziness, boredom, or difficulty in understanding the Bible. Rather, the root problem is, the, is, the, is that we fail to see reading the Bible as an act of listening to God. Church, do you see the act of reading the Bible as merely a chore that, or some kind of task that you have to check off to your everyday to-do list as a Christian? Or do you see that reading the Bible is an amazing opportunity for our Father in heaven to speak into your life? I mean, we get to interact with the extraordinary God through such ordinary means like reading the Bible. Yet the command here in verse 19, be quick to listen, is not simply just telling us to go and read the Bible, but to be attentive towards his word. I remember uh, one of my past college students uh, back when I was in Philly uh, shared during a Bible study discussion in a community group uh, that he always leaves his physical Bible open in front, uh, on his desk anytime he's on his desk whenever he studies. Because this not only helped him to remember to read the Bible daily, but it demonstrated his, his attentive attitude towards God saying, Lord, I am also open to listen to what you have to say to me today, even though I may not understand everything you're saying, but I will still listen. It was to the point that something fell off if he didn't read the Bible when he was on his desk. So why does James also say slow to speak after he says quick to hear? Can you recall um, a time when you've kind of embarrassed yourself uh, by jumping to the wrong conclusions too quickly, only to get a better picture of the situation after you hear someone out. Because let's be real, it's kind of hard to listen um, when you're speaking at the same time, right? And this is why it's foolish to give advice without listening or interrupting them without waiting for them to finish speaking as much as possible. Proverbs 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Now, let me be clear. Slow to speak does not mean never speak, obviously, but rather speak with careful thought and consideration. Our God himself is also quick to hear our prayers, right? But we often speak to God without listening to him. We often ask for whatever we want without listening to what he desires of us. So you get frustrated because it feels like you're talking to God quite a lot in your prayers, but it feels like he's not listening. But when we listen to God's word, our prayers evolve. It shapes, his word changes and shapes how we speak to God, what we ask for in our prayers. John chapter 15, verse 7 
Jesus says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. This is how prayers are answered. When our wills align with God's will, when what we desire align with what God desires. That's why we must be quick to hear, slow to speak, even in our relationship with God. So now, be quick to hear, slow to speak. But then, why does James also mention slow to anger? Because it's hard, really hard, to actually listen when you are angry. It is only when we are calm, we truly listen. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And when you are angry at someone, you don't want to listen to them, right? Here's an illustration. Parents often lecture their children. But if the child is upset or even at least a little annoyed at the parents, how likely do you think the child would obey, listen to what the parent has to say. Enter one year, out to another, right? They don't want to hear any of it. And perhaps some of us may be in a similar situation with our heavenly parent. You are disappointed, frustrated at God for not giving you what you wanted or what you asked for. So you are not only slow to listen to God, you know, whatever God has to say, but you refuse to listen to him, or even worse, you completely reject him. Even when trials come, such as relational conflicts, financial issues, illness, you name it, we are often quick to lose patience, quick to speak in frustration about our situation, quick to get angry at other people, and even quick to be angry at God. And James is saying, slow down. Before you say anything, before you lose your temper, be quick to listen to what God has to say in the midst of your situation. Now, slow to anger does not mean never be angry. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Meaning that we should have a holy righteous anger towards the things that anger God, such as sins, idols, injustice, oppression, pride. So what exactly is this anger of man that does not produce righteousness of God that says in verse 20? Well, verse 21 tells us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness Because James understands, he understands that sin and idolatry is so deeply rooted in us that even what we think is righteous anger may actually be an unrighteous anger. Here's another illustration. When you scroll through your Facebook feed or a news feed or whatever feed that you have in your social media and you see videos of, let's say, bullying, we may see comments like, Oh, I really want to hurt this bully. If I were there, man, I would gladly take revenge on this bully. Sounds, may sound noble at first, at a surface level, but we know that it is deeply rooted in sin because God never commands us to personally punish others. 
In fact, scripture says, vengeance is the Lord's. And Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, that even if you are angry with your brother, you will be liable to judgment of murder on biblical standards. And so usually when our anger is directed towards a person, we are most likely motivated by wickedness and not the righteousness of God. Our anger often exposes our idols, right? What we get angry about reveals what we truly desire in our hearts. So for example, man, if I don't get the compliments that I want, I'm going to be upset. What does that reveal? You may be worshiping, I don't know, human approval or your own reputation or your looks or how you perform in whatever you do. So then, what does it look like to be slow to, not just anger, slow to righteous anger? First, our righteous anger should be directed to our own sins first. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Before condemning others, we should look at ourselves first, identify our own sins first, and repent first. Also, our righteous anger must always grieve for the sinners. Jesus had every right to be angry on the cross for being unjustly tortured for his sins that he did not commit. But instead, he, what did he do? He grieved for those who were nailing him to the cross. Was he cursing them? No, he was grieving for them. He prayed to God, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. There's no need for us to ever demonize anyone. The proper response is to grieve for them. Why? Because God is withholding his ultimate and final wrath, ready to be poured out on the judgment day when Christ returns. And in the meantime, he's constantly inviting all sinners, including you and I, to repent and be saved while there is still time. Because many times throughout the scripture, God describes himself as merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is slow to anger towards me, towards us. So how could we be quick to anger towards anyone? You and I are empowered to be patient through God's patience towards us. So now, let's rewind a little bit. What does it actually look like to listen to God especially? Well, it says in verse 21, it says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which can save your souls. So first, we listen by simply receiving, right? This is when the word of God becomes personal to you and you accept it as the truth, and that should govern your life. Now, what is this implanted word that's speaking here? Well, God says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And God further explains in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's word 
must first pierce our souls. The seed of the gospel must be planted deep in our hearts. And as we, with the, with the help of the Holy Spirit, water our souls, and obedience unto God is the flower, the fruit that is inevitably produced in us. Have you ever had those moments when you just remembered a Bible verse, a passage that you really needed at that moment? Perhaps you are listening to someone, you know, share about their lives and, you know, you're, you know, they need counsel or even during a Bible study discussion. And you wonder, wow, how did I actually even remember this passage or Bible verse in such a perfect timing and such an appropriate situation? That is the implanted word of God being received and activated. And second, we listen by receiving with meekness, humbly. If you're consumed with pride and clouded by your anger and speak too soon, this implanted word will not be received nor be activated. Be teachable. Teachable does not mean whether you're learning more information. Rather, teachable means do you have the humility to admit your own wrongdoings and repent? I mean, how do you respond to rebuke and criticisms, especially when a brother or sister in Christ approaches you to correct you biblically? Many of us either take it personally and our immediate response is to defend ourselves or we just go away. We don't want to deal with it. Or we might even go a step further by criticizing them in return. Even if they are wrong or they're blatantly insulting you, there may be a hint of truth to what they are saying. Because you may stay blind to seeing this huge law coming out of your own eye that is hurting you and others around you. But not only that, you may be blind to the fact that this person is actually loving you so much that he or she is willing to risk the awkwardness between you two and be risking the angry response from you. Pride blinds, but humility brings clarity. Pride blinds, but humility brings clarity. And the reality is that true listening and true humility, they're inseparable. We can listen to God through listening to his people as well who also have the implanted word. And church, I, I just wanted to say, um, you may find yourself actually seeking guidance, but you may be listening to the wrong voices. Perhaps you only listen to people who are nice to you or won't say anything offensive to you, uh, will always support everything that you do. So you avoid seeking guidance from those you know will give you the hard but honest and good truth, or perhaps you're simply just not sure where to get guidance from. And here's my advice to you. Other than seeking the pastors, seek guidance from those who are quick to listen to God regularly in their lives. Find the people who are slow to speak, slow to anger. And we can't just assume that you can seek, you know, seek advice from someone just because he says he's a Christian or she goes to church regularly. So how do we identify who is trustworthy? Well, ask yourself these questions. Is this person basing his or her advice or guidance from the scriptures and not simply out of their own experience? 
Does this person help you to become more aware of God when you spend time with them? If you can confidently say yes to these questions, chances are that God can certainly speak to you through that person. So this call for us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, is not simply talking about the discipline of reading the Bible daily. Rather, it is also a call for us to listen and remember God's word, even when it's tempting to get angry about your situation or at God. Which this is our second point. Obey God by doing. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The sad reality for us today is that Christians, we often hear, we may even listen to God's word, even speak about doing it, but we don't do it. Romans chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. We can come back from a retreat listening to multiple sermons and feel blessed, excited about the new things that we've learned. But if we don't do what we felt blessed about, then did we truly obey God? I mean, how many of the new things that we've learned do we actually put to practice? No matter how great the preaching, the teaching may be, if it's not applied, it is useless. It may very well be that our head knowledge may be way ahead of, your practic- of our practical knowledge. And that's why James says we deceive ourselves if we think that we are growing just because we have listened and felt convicted about it and we learned something new. Why do you think we experience this spiritual low when we come back from these retreats or from these events? It's not because what we've experienced wasn't authentic, but it's because we're not doing what we've heard afterwards. A lot of us say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to do all these things to glorify you. God, I will even lay my life down for you. But when we come back home, letting alone, dying for him, we don't even live for him. There's a quote by Bonhoeffer that says, one, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. Some of you may even receive sound pastoral biblical advice. So you listen carefully and even agree to do what you've heard. But right after the conversation, you may find yourself, you know, just doing the exact opposite or just doing the very bare minimum. In verses 23 and 24 of this chapter, James illustrates what hearing but not doing is like. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. After after you look at yourself in the mirror and see something stuck in your teeth, do you immediately, after leaving the mirror, ignore or forget about it? I I hope not. (laughs) I hope you don't say, oh, that's for later, right? No, we we shouldn't, right? We will immediately try to do something about it. And this mirror is actually God's word that is open and faced right in front of your life. 
And when you see a sin in your own life through this mirror, namely God's word, do you forget about it? No, at least we shouldn't. We should immediately extract it. And in verses 26 to 27, James gets very, very practical here. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure, undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the word religion here is often thrown around to describe worship in general, an outward act of ceremony towards God. Kind of like this worship service right now, where we are singing, reciting all these things, catechisms, listening to the sermons, praying. However, James says that a person's religion is worthless unless they practice it. You can close your eyes, lift up your hands, sing and recite as loudly as you can, yell amen throughout the sermons, pray long, passionate, eloquent prayers at worship services. But if you don't do what God says, Your worship is meaningless and in vain. Church, what does your life look outside of Sunday services? Does your life outside the church look very different from how it looks inside the church? So what does it look like to be doers of the word? Well, first, according to verse 26 and 27, we are doers by controlling our tongue. One must bridle his tongue. This was obviously touched upon in my first point, right? And quick to hear and be slow to speak. And James chapter 3 will also cover this in a few weeks. But our tongue is the main instrument in which we can build or even destroy others. It is a powerful and can be dangerous tool. How do you use your words? Do you often just throw around words carelessly? Do you use your words mainly to make people like you? Do you only use your words to get whatever you want, you manipulate? Do you gossip or slander with your words? Do you joke around with your words so much that it lacks weight, seriousness, and sincerity? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so we are called to be pure, wise, loving, and intentional with our words. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus promises that on the judgment day, we will all have to account for every careless word we have said. So even for me, I always have to catch myself and make a habit of apologizing and even clarifying uh, what I said. And as a pastor, as this is my occupation, I feel very burdened to preach and speak words very, very carefully. And secondly, we are doers by caring for those who are helpless, to visit orphans, widows in their affliction. And now this will be expanded more upon in James chapter 2, which is the next sermon. And I want to address this. Some of you are very passionate about, you know, social justice and reaching and serving those who are less privileged. And I am glad that you have this passion and the conviction to make a change in this world. But just a word of warning for you, that you do not serve your passions, but you serve the people 
in need. You may be caught up with the idea of removing poverty, that you, lose, you could lose sight of the serving people who are actually within your reach. So instead of just expressing your anger towards injustice in the world on social media, we must act in the areas that God has given us. Yes, you can certainly work towards making a difference on the other side of the world if you truly wish to, going on missions and whatever. However, start with what is practically within your reach, arm's reach. Who exactly are the helpless that are around me that I can actually help? Remember, Jesus commands us to love our people, love our neighbors. He doesn't say people in general, neighbors. And he was very intentional about that. Who are your neighbors that really need help both inside the church and outside of the church? I have a friend uh, whose uh, dad passed away many, many years ago. And I remember talking to him. He told me that there were so many people who tried to encourage him, message him, text him, call him, and saying, you know, all these, like, trying to say all these words, throwing around Bible verses at him. But he told me how unhelpful that was. The people that he thought were the most helpful were people who were willing to listen to him and spend the time with him. And he said they haven't really barely, they barely said anything. People who are afflicted want to be understood. They need a relationship and not just sponsorship. For them to be understood, they need to be heard. And this is one major way for us to practice, do our religion of doing the word. And thirdly, we are the doers by pursuing holiness to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this will be expanded upon in James chapter 4. And I know this is tough. This is tough for many of us because we're constantly surrounded by things that we could easily become idols, right? Careers, entertainment, relationships, and even church. Idolatry is when we make good things that God created into ultimate things that we worship. And this makes us stained from the world. The only way to battle against being stained from the world is to make our creator the ultimate object of our worship. And this is not saying do not get involved with the world at all, but this do, and this does not mean we cannot enjoy entertainment and pleasures or anything that, you know, that I've mentioned. Rather, we must not be mastered or controlled or defined nor identified by these things from the unbelieving world. In fact, we are called to engage the unbelieving world as representatives of Christ. That's part of what it means to be set apart, to be holy. Right? Holy doesn't mean let's be segregated from the rest of the world. We are separated but not segregated. Remember Jesus says in John chapter 17 that we are in the world and not of the world. Now I want to quickly say this. We must have a good balance between pursuing holiness but also pursuing love, caring for the helpless. If we fall into danger of focusing on one or the other, where we love the oppressed so much that we sacrifice the holiness of God. Or on the other side, where we are so zealous about holiness of God that we sacrifice loving the poor and the oppressed. And this leads us to my final point. We obey God by remembering. We obey God by remembering. The sad reality 
is that we might listen to God, even do what he says, but we fail to remember the gospel to strengthen our doing. In verse 24 of this passage, it says, after looking at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. And we also see that James is saying that we have a terrible memory. We are creatures who forget way too easily and quickly. We lose sight of our goal, our purpose in life, our meaning in life, which is to, what, glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? What's Mr. Shortcast in question one? We forget who we are. Just like the Israelites who forgot constantly about their God who delivered them from the land of Egypt, right? That's why God has to continue to remind them, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, remember? We also constantly forget the one who delivered us from our certain death to certain eternal life. And when we forget who we are, we fail to function properly. And James uses this mirror illustration because he wants us to remember who we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who are you? Who are you? When you look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? Perhaps you may see a person who is always dissatisfied with herself. Perhaps you, are, you see a wicked sinner who is beyond help. Perhaps you see a people pleaser, a failure, someone who is trying to hide their real selves. And church, this is what you should see. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. New creation is your new identity. What does that mean? It means that we are no longer orphans, but children of God. We are no longer just mere sinners, but now we are called saints. If we are united with Jesus Christ by faith in him, we no longer obey God in order to gain his approval. Instead, we obey God because we are already approved by God. By doing, our, our doing as God commands as Christians is always supported by a reason. And that's because he has already empowered us with the means to accomplish it. Too many times, uh, can you put up the... Uh, the the slide up. Thank you. Uh, too many times our discussion about biblical living is limited to, I am not blank. I should be blank. Therefore, I will attempt to do or be blank. And you can fill in the blank with anything biblical. Obeying, be holy, be humble, be loving. So let, let's, do, let's do an example here. This is a lot, oftentimes a lot of us, even as Christians, how we approach it. Oh, I am not obedient. I should obey, therefore I will attempt to obey. This is just like the Nike logo or Shia LaBeouf saying, just do it. However, as Christians, we remember we do because of what God has already done for us. And this empowers us to act. So let's consider it again. How, uh, we are not obeying. We should be obeying. Christ perfectly obeyed God on our behalf. Therefore, we are empowered. We can truly obey freely. Rather than seeing 
obedience to God as a burden that we just, you know, just have to do. Just do it. We see that Jesus, Jesus, he perfectly obeyed God. And in doing so, he traded his perfect obedience to God with our imperfect obedience to God when he died on that cross. Because we are one with Christ, God sees us now as perfectly obedient children. Isn't that crazy? Even though we may inevitably fall into sin, disobey at times, because we remember our new identities as co-heirs with Christ, this strengthens us to continue to pursue joyful and genuine obedience. Therefore, we obey by remembering our identity in Christ. Amen. And I'll give you another example. Uh, Next slide, please. I am not forgiving. I should forgive, but I am forgiven through Christ by God. Therefore, I am empowered to forgive. We cannot use brute force, brute discipline, because that gradually leads to apathy and bitterness. We do not simply wait passively for something to happen in our hearts, to feel really motivated to do what God's word says. We can't depend on that. When we reflect upon and remember what God has already done for us in Christ, we gain the power to become doers of the word. Amen. So how do we remember our identity in Christ? We can see that in another illustration, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We remember by looking, looking into. What are we looking into? Looking into this perfect law of liberty. What is this perfect law? The, the perfect law, the, the, the law is perfect, not just in the sense that the law has no flaws, it, you know, but it is also referring to Christ who perfectly obeyed the law for us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will be passed from the law until all is accomplished. So when we look to this perfected law, you will remember Christ who perfected it for you. What is the law of liberty? I mean, how can these two words go hand in hand together? Law and liberty? How can they go together? Because in the Old Testament laws, they were enslaving to God's people. But by faith in Christ, the laws are no longer binding to God's people. Now we have the freedom to choose to obey. This is the declaration of freedom from sin and condemnation which Christ accomplished perfectly for us. Do you, do you know, church, brothers and sisters in Christ, do you know that you are free from sin? Do you believe that? Do you know that? If we're not truly free from sin, then James telling us to be doers of the word, that's useless. It has no application to us. However, if Christ truly freed us unchained us from the slavery to sin, then God commanding us to be doers of the word is more than doable for us. So let us look into this perfect law of liberty. Let's look to Jesus Christ. Church, are you looking into this law of liberty? The gospel every day. Are you engaging yourself to tackle any desires in your heart that 
uh, contradict, conflict with the word by fixing your eyes onto who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you? Or are you just trying to use brute force or perhaps some of us have given up? Some of you may believe that you don't need to hear the gospel over and over again because you kind of grew up with it. You heard it all the time. But remembering the gospel daily is essential because it is the very power in which we can apply the truth into our lives. Since we are forgetters, we need to be reminded of the gospel truth daily because the gospel fuels our obedience. We need to read and reflect on the Bible daily. We need a spiritual community to remind us of the gospel, to help us to do the word and not just hear the word. Now, some of you may say, Pastor John, you know, I get all of this. I get all of this, you know, but what if I fail to do the word? I've listened and even tried to obey and do the word a few times, but I find myself disobeying and falling into sin. And I want to say, that's okay. You have failed. I get it. But you can get right back up to strive again. This is why we must continue to remember who we are in Christ, to not be discouraged. God does not demand perfection from us because he already demanded perfection from Christ, which he accomplished. God does not demand uh, perfection from us, but he desires progression from us until we will be perfected on the last day. Praise team, could you come up? I want to conclude by reminding us How do we obey God as Christians? We obey God by listening to God's word. We obey by doing what we've heard from God's word. We obey by remembering our new identity in Christ, which empowers us to act according to what God's word says. In so doing, James promises that we will be blessed in our doing. Because obedience leads to, you know, not necessarily earthly blessings, but eternal blessings in the new heavens and new earth. So let us continue to run this race until the day when we die or go home or when Christ returns. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Before the praise team leads us in a a closing song and a response, I want to give us some opportunity to pray uh, just for a minute or two. I want to ask you to honestly reflect in your own life as you speak to God in prayer. Lord, am I being quick to listen to you? Am I turning to your word daily to listen to you humbly, to receive your word? Let's pray for God to grant us the spiritual ears to hear. Also, spend some time evaluating yourself in the presence of God. Am I actually doing, putting to practice the word in my life? Am I forgetting who I am in Christ and trying to do the word with brute force or to try to gain favor from the Lord? pray that God would show you this law of liberty, the perfect law of liberty. The gospel promises that will empower you to actually want to joyfully, genuinely obey his word. Even if you failed, let's rest in the reality that when we were imperfect doers of the word, Christ was perfect doer of the word on our behalf to richly bless us. So let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we?